For now in Nehemiah chapter 11, God still uses willing volunteers. I am not going to read the entire chapter to you. Once again, we have a lot of lists with the different names. But I'm going to read the first two verses, and I'll make reference back to them as we go the rest of the chapter. But read with me chapter 11. Let's read the two verses, one and two. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, speak, speak to us through your written word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, if you recall, we read about the people who made a signed covenant with God. That's back in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, verse 29, they promised to follow the scriptures. And in verse 30 of chapter 10, they promised to honor the Lord through marriage. In verse 31 of chapter 10, they promised to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. And then verse 32 through the rest of the chapter, which ends with verse 39, they promised to honor the Lord with their financial resources. And the chapter ends with these words, Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. And in chapter 11, we see another challenge that they faced. Jerusalem was underpopulated. And this issue is alluded back to cha in chapter 7, verse 4. Nehemiah was aware of this situation. He had been concerned about it ever since the wall had been completed, but perhaps he even knew about this situation before the wall was ever done, ever completed. And I want you to notice something. In chapters 8 through 10, we see a lot of spiritual work going on. It's important to notice that this issue was not addressed until after all that spiritual work was completed. And as we walk through it, you'll understand why. It was important prerequisite to deal with God in spiritual matters first before they resolved this issue. So why was this a big issue to begin with? Let's back up and let's take a bigger scope of the whole picture, if you will. Jerusalem had been without a wall for 142 years. Now, this was important back in ancient times because it was impossible to defend the city without a well-fortified, strong wall. And back in chapter 1, it's reported that the people of God had become a reproach. They were criticized. They were rebuked, laugh about, because the city had no wall. And there is a direct relationship by, between a city's wall and the way that city was viewed by the enemies around. The lack of a wall gave the enemies of God a reason to laugh at them and scorn. Now, not that much time had passed, moving back in required sacrifice. So much time had gone by. 
Imagine moving back into a city that has been unoccupied. But let's just bring it down to where we can understand it. What happens to a house or a building when it's since unoccupied for a long period of time? It begins to fall apart. It becomes look nasty. The appearance looks bad. Imagine, uh, you ever been to a ghost town or seen pictures of a ghost town or visit a ghost town? Imagine telling your family, let's move there. Would your wife go, say again, have you seen the houses? Have you seen the city? That exactly what it would be like for them back then. The people needed to protect, defend, and guard the city. This was important. Now that the wall had been completed in, pay, in place, the city still needed people to protect it from attack. People needed to work in the temple. Now, that had been completed since the time of Ezra with the group that came back with him, but now the temple had to be staffed. To complete the work God had called them to do, there would be no point in finishing the wall and the temple then leave. The wall and temple were not ends in themselves. They were means to the end of God being glorified by a vibrant, unique people living and worshiping in Jerusalem. Their overall point is this. This whole underpopulation problem is alluded way back in chapter 7. Now the spiritual issues have been addressed in chapters 8 through 10. It's time to tackle this problem and get it solved. Look, those who stepped up to meet the challenge was a large group of volunteers. Look in verse 1, we read that people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem. They were already promised to tithe from their possessions back in chapter 10. Now they're tithing a tenth of themselves to live there. But look at verse 2. I want you, if you have a highlighter or a pen, underline the word volunteered. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Underline that, underscore that, volunteered. Now, there's some biblical scholars who talk about the relationship between these groups. Some think it was the same group altogether, but if you're casting lots, that's not really volunteering, is it? I think there was two groups. I think there was people who actually casted lots to see if they would go, but there's this group of people who volunteered. They loved God. And they love God's city so much they are willing to volunteer to take themselves and their families to take up residence in that city. And God still uses the similar way or similar method today to accomplish his work. This is why, this, this is why the title of this message is God uses willing volunteers. That's exactly what was happening in Nehemiah's day, and this is exactly what happens in the church today. And when you read that verse 2, and you go back and look at Ezra, and you look at Nehemiah up to this point, understanding the complete story, understanding what these men and women had gone through, all the challenges, all the threats, everything they had gone through up to this point, and they were willing to go and to live in Jerusalem all because of their love for God. That should encourage us all to do the same thing. Look in verse 10 through 12. Those who willingly worked in the temple 
a group of people who cared for the sacrifices, prepared for worship, handled all the details that went along with the expression of their faith and obedience to the Old Testament law. There is a need for people to live inside the city within those walls to perform these tasks. These people found within that list in verses 10 through 12 were willing to do it. But only that, verses 15 through uh, verses 15 and 16, we find those who are willingly working outside the temple. Now, there's different opinions what that work would look like, perhaps leading people in prayer. We're not really sure. But there was work to be done outside the temple as well, and they were willing to do it. Now, regardless of what exactly was in mind, here is another group that saw a need or saw the need, and they were willing to step up to the plate and get the job done. Remember, this group is not just a group of people who cast a lot. A lot of these are volunteering to go into a city that had been without a wall for 140 years, had been broken down, and now they're going to go live in it. A lot of risk involved. A lot of sacrifice involved. Look at verse 17. Those who led by praying, a prayer of thanksgiving, it says in verse 18. And it struck me, of all the things that Nehemiah can mention, he mentions people who are going to pray. The importance of prayer warriors. Now, Nehemiah was a man of Scripture and a man of prayer. We see that throughout the book. We saw early on in the story that when he received the news from his brother about the condition of Jerusalem, and, by the, and before he spoke to the king, he sought the Lord in prayer. And here's a group of people who are willing to go live in Jerusalem and to lead people and to minister to people in prayer. Now look at this, Roger, verse 22. Look at this. I'm saying this because you're the music minister. Those who sing in the services of the house of God. Once again, everything else that could be mentioned, he singles out people who would sing in the services at God's house. How interesting that's pointed out. But we must not forget the overall point is this. There was a need for people to move back into the city. So the worship and daily life of God's holy city could be restored. And God, listen to me, God used volunteers to get that job done. Much of God's work is done through willing volunteers. Consider the following passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you're the household of Stadophilus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints. Devoted themselves. They willingly volunteered to minister to to other saints. And by the way, that word in saints is Greek. It's hagios. It means holy ones. How many believers in Jesus Christ, born again believers we have in the house? Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. You're in the house of God. You are a saint. How does that make you feel when I say that? He talking to me. You are a saint, not based on anything you have done or could do, but based on who your relationship is with Jesus Christ. His blood covers your sin. You are considered a saint. These people willingly volunteered in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, to devote themselves to the ministry of the saints, to, to work with them, to pray with them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 
and following, this is speaking about the churches of Macedonia. Paul writes, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave her their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but gave, but they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They wanted to give. They volunteered to give. He didn't ask for it, but they wanted to do that. The, the churches in Macedonia. And there's so many places we could go in Scripture that you'll see the importance of cultivating a willing heart. Have you ever heard this phrase? 90% of the work done is done by 10% of the people. So 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Do you think that is true for churches across America? Hmm. Well, let's get a little closer to home. Do you believe this is true for Forestburg Baptist Church? Of course, the obvious follow answer to that is this. Are you a willing volunteer? Are you a willing servant? This is all going by Nehemiah 11. There are volunteers who give great sacrifice to move back into that city to do what needed to be done. Volunteers often bide in the ranks of the un willing unknown. That's one of Chuck Swindle's terms. Notice that in this chapter, many names are mentioned, just like back in chapters 3, 7, 8, and 10. However, many names are not mentioned. If every name was mentioned, I believe the book would be so big, I couldn't, I'd have to have like a big old huge computer. I mean, just a huge amount of names. Many have faithfully served, but their names are unknown to us. That's true, with, that's true within the history of the church, right? Many unsung heroes. And this is true throughout the history of this church. People come before us. I should have done more homework, but I don't know if you even started this church to begin with. This is where the youth room is. That's the original sanctuary. Somebody had to have the vision and the willingness to start it. This nice sanctuary we're sitting in. Some of you are here for that. You had to willingly give of your time and found your resources to make this happen. It's all around us. Some have gone on. We don't know what happened to them. Some of the names we have forgotten. We, don't, we know everybody involved. And with that, bear with me, please. I want you to turn to Luke. Turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll be looking at uh, starting in verse 7. Before we start reading, the disciples were not very rich, all right? They were poor. They couldn't own a slave if they wanted to because they weren't rich enough. But they understood the culture and the context of the day. Look at verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. Will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. So if you have a slave, 
when he gets done, you just going to let him sit down? No. You're going to tell your Savior, you take care of me first. And I can see the disciples go, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if we own slaves, that's how it goes. A slave is supposed to take care of everything else before he takes care of himself. Make sure everything else is done for his master. Look at verse 9. He's not thanked the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Does he thank the slave for doing what the master is telling him to do? Of course not. That's the relationship he has with the master. There's a master, there's a slave. The master is not going to thank the slave for doing something he should know he shall ought to do. That's part of his duties. Why should the master thank him for doing that? And I can see the disciples going, Yeah, you're not going to thank a slave for doing something like that. And look in verse 10. Now Jesus takes the conversation and yanks the rug right underneath their feet. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought have done. You see the picture? You and I serve Christ. He is our master. And no slave is above the master. So when we volunteer with a willing heart, we're just doing what we ought to do in the first place. Serve Christ. Should he thank us for doing that? I have not received an email or a card personally signed by Jesus yet. I have got thank you cards from some of you, which I appreciate. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But the reason I do what I do is to please him first. Because I'm just doing what he told me to do in the first place. He called me to preach his word. He called me to pastor it. He called me to be a vocational pastor. I know now. Everywhere in my life, God has put me there. And I'm just doing what God asked me to do in the first place. I mean, let's back it up to the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission, right? Go ye therefore to all the nations and Teach them and baptize them and all things I've taught you. We know the Great Commission. Preach the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. And we shouldn't sit around and wait for thank yous or someone to ask us for it. God will move on your heart and tell you what you need to do. And you've heard me say this time and time again. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Some of you right now are maybe wrestling with things in your life that God's calling you to do. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. God's just saying if you're going to trust him enough in that call that you will step out and willingly volunteer into a situation that you don't know everything about to see if you're going to trust him. Some of you may think I still can't preach. I remember my first sermon, I prepared for two weeks and I rambled on for five minutes and it was over. You probably think, I wish you'd say five minutes. <laughs> but over time, God opened doors for training and education. And I'm still learning. But it's having that willing heart. I'm telling you, please hear me. When you open that up, just like those people did way back in Nehemiah 11, when you say, yes, I'll volunteer, I see a need, I'm going to do it, God will bless you and take you places you can't possibly imagine. We're starting to see it some here. We have people who are volunteering. 
And yes, it can be difficult. And yes, it requires sacrifice. But the rewards are out of this world. Every labor done in love is remembered by God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. When you do that, God's going to remember what you've done. God sees who's doing what. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Anything that you do for God is never in vain. You may not see it this side of heaven. As I've said before, heaven will declare with a great shout things of earth had just never paid attention to or didn't know. And our final rewards will be determined by our faithfulness, not public applause. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this matter as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. That's what we are. We're stewards. We're stewards. We don't really own anything. Everything is owned by God. Even my very life. As a believer, it tells me that I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. My life doesn't even belong to me. I am to be a good steward who is trustworthy. Who willingly serve the Savior. Churches cannot function without volunteers. The reason why you volunteer here is not because you like me. That's kind of nice if you do like me. But you don't volunteer just for that. You don't volunteer to come up and sing just because you like Roger or some of the music. You don't volunteer to teach Sunday school. You volunteer for all those things because of your love for God. And he's calling you to that. That might mean you might seek more education. You might have to be self-disciplined. You might have to study more time in the Word. But God will bring those things to your mind. He will walk through you. What he's looking for. Is people who are willing to follow him and trust him in all things. I still believe 2020, in some form or fashion, is God's great altar call to the church to get off off the pews and to get to work. People are looking, they're hungry for answers. We have the very answer that they need. Do you see any needs of this church? Do you think of any? You like to sing. We even have a choir loft we could put up. Perhaps you like to teach. We need more Sunday school teachers. Perhaps building and grounds is more your style, working with your hands. Well, we always have need for that. There's always some place to serve. How about audiovisual? We need more people trained in live streaming and our soundboard. But more importantly, beyond all that, we need and we must be sharing our faith with those around us. You go back to the example of Christ. 
Why did he come and offer himself as a sacrifice? He willingly did it because he loved you that much. He followed the Father's will. And I'm telling you, there is no place, no place you'd rather be than in the middle of God's will. The most safest place to be. The place that will give you peace and give you joy is serving God. Is it difficult at times? Yes. Does it cry sacrifice? Yes, it will. But in the end, it'll be well worth it. And as we wrap this up this morning, I want you, this you can, just close your eyes. Don't go to sleep on me. Just close your eyes. I want you to picture Jerusalem. All right? The city that it once was under David, King David, the glorious city that it was. It was just magnificent. Through the course of time, through God's judgment, people were conquered. First the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and the kingdom split, and all this bad stuff happened. And now we're a part of that group in Nehemiah chapter 11. Yes, the temple has been rebuilt. Still not being used that much, if ever. Walls have been repaired, but the city is vacant. Nothing going on. Maybe some weeds growing up here and there. Enemies all around laughing at you. You've already been threatened by them on many occasions that they're going to come in and try to do something to you. All the challenges that we know of. And yet the call goes out. Who's going to go in Jerusalem? Who's going to do this? Some people cast lots. But a large group volunteer. In our society today, everybody says, well, somebody needs to do that and somebody needs to do that. We need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. Instead of recognizing those, which we should, nothing bad in that, but instead of just focusing on that issue, we should be asking the bigger question, what can I do to make a difference? What needs to be done? And I will serve in that capacity. God still uses volunteers to accomplish his work today. He's done that since the beginning of time. And I'm convinced that God is calling some of us in this room, if not all of us, to be more volunteering to do things to further his kingdom. That's another, another step in moving forward. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come and confessed that you've broken his his law, and you sinned against him and cried out to Jesus, please forgive me and ask him to be Lord and Savior of your life. If you have not done that, then I beg of you, I plead with you to do that today. If you've done that, God is always calling you to a deeper walk with him. Christianity, being a Christian, a follower, is never stagnant. You're always growing, you're always moving, you're always changing more and more to like Christ. He's calling you to, to do that. What's going to be your answer? He told us up front, it's going to be hard. He told us up front, it's going to be difficult. But he also told us that he would equip us, he would walk with us, and he would never leave us or forsake us. Yeah, we go through storms, 
Jesus doesn't promise to pull us out of the storm, but he'll promise to walk us through the storm. And that's when your faith really grows. Can I maybe rattle this a little bit? But in the end, in the end, your faith will grow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, reading about the story of your people so long ago back in Jerusalem. All the challenges that they faced, all the work that they've done, and some of them volunteered to go to a vacant city to step up to the plate and do what must be done. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us here that we have that same willing heart to look around, see a need, and volunteer with a willing heart. We are so thankful to you, Jesus, that you willingly came to earth and that you laid your life down for us, paid for our salvation with your blood. And we praise you today. That's not the end of the story, but you rose on the third day victorious. God, I, I, I ask you to remind the people in this room and those watching who they are and who they belong to. Continue to have your way here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?